0: What I worry about is in trying to listen, which is good, and in trying to be humble, which is also good, people are are sort of indiscriminately absorbing these ideas that are out there in the culture that are actually toxic and dangerous.
1: The conversation of race in American society isn't going away, as there is still much to talk about and a lot of healing left to do, while critical race theory seems to find itself at the center of much of that conversation. Now, whether you applaud restrictions on CRT or see those restrictions as masking the real issue, knowing what CRT is, is very important. Author and speaker Neil Shenvey has his PhD in chemistry, but has taken up the task of helping Christians understand critical race theory. He joined Bobby back in 2020 for a live discussion answering questions such as, what is the difference between critical theory and critical race theory? What is the worldview that underpins critical race theory? And is that worldview compatible with Christianity? how does CRT work, and many other important topics. What you're gonna hear today on this episode is only a small portion of their conversation. So I invite you to watch the hour-long discussion. You will find a link for that in the description of this show on our YouTube channel.
2: Uh, one of the things that I saw on the Christian Post was an article uh, or was a video by Phil Vischer. And it was him talking about kind of uh, our response in this time uh, that we're going through, and you know, maybe how we should have a better understanding. And you know, watching it, I found myself going, "Okay, I I liked his heartbeat to want to be empathetic, to be understanding." And uh, I ended up taking that link and I posted it personally to my own uh, social media and said, "Hey, check this out. I think this can uh, be helpful." Well, lo and behold. Uh, I, I had some interaction that would eventually lead me to kind of your work and it had me uh, even thinking a little bit about some of his influences. And while I couldn't, you know, contend for all the stats that he was sharing because that wasn't the purpose of the video, mm-hmm. I appreciated his heart. But what I think is uh, what Phil is doing and, the response he had from somebody like me is a lot of people in our culture right now we we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to understand this race issue Uh, Mm -hmm. we're not wanting to come across racist Uh, we're wanting to be humble we want to learn we want to validate yet where i'm thankful for your work is it's so factually rooted And you're giving me a language through critical theory and critical race theory that I felt like it would be important to bring you on the program and just to educate our audience. And so let's start with that. Let's distinguish between critical theory and critical race theory. And we'll kind of start talking some terminology. And for those listening, I want you to know that the end, I hope you'll feel like you've got sort of a, a crash course on this subject matter before us. Sure. So critical theory, uh, the term
0: originated with the Frankfurt School in the 1930s. So Max Horkheimer, Theodor Adorno and other sociologists were trying to apply Karl Marx's theories about power, not his economic ideas, but his ideas about how power works. They wanted to apply them more broadly than just class. They wanted to apply them to things like how culture and mass media work. And uh, and they, then other people along the same lines were trying to, again, extend Marx's analysis, like Antonio Gramsci, to areas beyond just economics and to mm-hmm. things more about ideology, how ideology influences culture and power. But that was happening 80 years ago. So that was where the, the term originated. But since then, critical theory has spawned entire disciplines like critical pedagogy, queer theory, uh, f- a lot of black feminism was influenced by what would be considered a critical social theory and then critical race theory is one of the di- the sub within the broader category of critical theory or critical social theories there are lots of them like i said so yes. they often get conflated people think critical theory is equal to critical race theory but they're actually distinct disciplines and critical theory is a broader umbrella term that makes sense
2: Yes, that makes perfect sense. And so uh, that's helpful because in light of what we're experiencing today, uh, you know, obviously uh, with the death of George Floyd, uh, critical race theory is a very relevant topic worthy of discussion. But at the outset, you're saying, hey, but there's This critical theory can be applied to all kinds of fields like lgbtq and we can have our eyes open what is it that we need to understand what's the structure of critical theory uh what's the system of it like how does it work uh in these different theoretical fields of study Mm -hmm.
0: so from its inception critical theory was trying to understand how power operates and circulates within society to reproduce systems of inequality and oppression, right? They were always trying to figure out how to emancipate people from whatever enslaved them. That's going back to the Frankfurt School. But nowadays, uh, again, what's emerged in the last 10 or 20 years is sometimes called uh, critical social justice, social justice scholarship. Uh, occasionally people will call it intersectionality. It's not quite right. But that, that framework is based on several ideas that have emerged out of the critical tradition And I could list them really briefly, but they are things like the social binary. This is the idea that you can, that society is divided uh, along axes of race, class, gender, sexuality, physical ability, age, and so forth, into oppressor groups on the top of society and Mm -hmm. oppressed groups on the bottom. This is why this, these ideas are sometimes called cultural Marxism. I don't Mm -hmm. like that term because it's also Mm -hmm. the term of a crazy conspiracy theory. But the idea that you can separate these all, all of culture to these uh, these different groups uh, along these different axes, that's a very important idea. And it's not just race. So you have obviously whites would be on the top and then people of color would be on the bottom as oppressed people. You'd also have uh, say men on the top and women on the bottom. You would have heterosexuals on the top and the LGBTQ people on the bottom. Uh, you'd have physically uh, abled people on the top and physically disabled people on the bottom. So along all those axes you have Uh, categories of oppressor and oppressed. And one other really important thing, a couple other important ideas. Another one is that uh, the word oppression has been redefined. It does not just mean acts of cruelty, uh, uh, coercion, tyranny. That's traditional oppression. But oppression has been redefined to mean the ways in which people suffer injustice at the hands of a well-meaning liberal societies. So Mm oppression is encoded in ideas, and a classic one that you you hear a lot about is the idea of the gender binary being oppressive, because Mm -hmm. the gender binary is this excuse people have to see male and female as normal and natural and common sense, but queer theorists would say, actually, that's a form of oppression because you are marginalizing the non-gender binary. That's just Mm -hmm. one of the axes along which oppression operates. The other ones would be, obviously, race, class, gender, and so forth.
2: Okay. So we're kind of talking critical theory. We'll we'll, we'll make our way toward critical race theory specifically, but you're giving us kind of the structure. Uh, Would you describe this, Neil, as uh, a worldview that we need to be aware of and contend with as Christians then? And if so, what is the worldview of critical theory so
0: I would say it functions as a worldview. Uh, there's a the debate about well, is it just a neutral tool? Can we can we see things through the lens of critical theory to to, to understand truth better? And I would say mm, it's 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 hard to say. Uh, these ideas are really they're meta narratives, right? Mm-hmm. They're ways to understand all of reality. So another big uh, plank in this uh, ideology is lived experience and the role of lived experience in coming to know the truth. So the idea was was that you have these oppressor groups that are privileged and you have these subordinate oppressed groups. But ironically, the oppressor groups are actually blind to social reality because they have both conscious and subconscious reasons to deny the reality of their privilege. Right. They don't Mm -hmm. want to believe they're an an unjust society. In -hmm. contrast, oppressed groups. they're also socialized into oppression. So they also buy these narratives, these lies that the ruling class gives to justify their own power. And yet through their lived experience, they can wake up to the reality of their own oppression. So Mm -hmm. their lived experience gives them a special access to truth that is unavailable to oppressor groups. So Mm -hmm. that becomes again, very important in terms of uh, the, the locus for authority. How do you know something is true? Who do you defer to? Whose voices do you center? And contemporary critical theory would say we should center the marginalized. We should de-center the old, white, Western male voices, and we should center these oppressed and marginalized voices, not merely to get equality. In other words, we shouldn't simply say, well, these people have been denied a voice. We should add their voices to the mix. It's not only what they're saying. They're saying that these people have a better insight into reality than you would as an oppressor. Mm -hmm. And so we, we should be very careful here. Should we try to incorporate everyone's voice into the discussion? Absolutely. As Christians, right. We should be a voice for the voiceless. And yet we shouldn't say because of your social location, because of where you stand along this oppressor oppressed axis, you have this unique, unchallengeable insight into reality. And that's for various reasons. It can be extremely dangerous to say that.
2: Yeah, so now, you know, what are some of the, you know, boundaries that we would need to have in that? Because I can see how um, there can be people in a position socially Mm -hmm. uh, whereby their experience gives them an understanding uh, by nature of their particular social class that maybe my experience doesn't give me, or vice versa. So we can strive to understand each other, but when does it become dangerous upon critical theory? This is key, you said vice versa. That is that is one
0: of the key things to realize about critical theory or contemporary critical theory. There's an asymmetry built into their way of viewing the world, right? So. I would totally agree. You know, you are a a, a white male. I am a half Indian male. Maybe I have some unique half Indian experiences that that go along with my life story that you're not aware of. Of course, like you've never been a half Indian. So we can obviously share those personal experiences to try to arrive at a better understanding of truth. Absolutely, who would would deny that? And yet they would go farther and they would say, actually, it's not vice versa. It's the person Mm -hmm. at the bottom is uniquely positioned to see reality in a way that you are not, and so mm-hmm. your job as a person who is from an oppressor group, if you are in that group, is mm-hmm. to listen and mm-hmm. to and to absorb and, and take the posture of a learner, because, mm-hmm. and not really to challenge my voice because mm-hmm. I have a if I you know I'm, I guess I'm half Indian so I'm a person of color, but I would and if you would say well here's the way I see it here's my lived experience. I would say I, but yes, but your lived experience is actually conditioned by a false consciousness, right? Yeah. You think what you're saying is true and objective, but actually uh, your lived experience is is part of this uh, wrong thinking associated with, say, white dominance or male dominance. Now, let me read you a quote here. This is Now, this is getting into critical race theory, but this is really interesting. Uh, this is from a list. So critical race theory, like all of these schools of thought, is pretty diverse and broad. So it's If you ask, well, what are the core ideas of critical race theory even? You'll get a lot of different answers. So here's just one set of central tenets of critical race theory. This is from uh, an article in the Journal of Higher Education from 2009. But tenet number two of critical race theory, according to these authors, is this. They say ideas like liberalism, neutrality, objectivity, colorblindness, and meritocracy camouflage how racial advantage propels the self-interest, power, and privileges of the dominant group. Now, think about that. And that's, you're, you're hearing the same theme coming out of critical race theory, as we heard from critical theory broadly, that mm. the dominant groups, they impose their ideas on culture to justify their own privilege. Well, here's the same thing seen through a racial lens. Ideas like liberalism or objectivity are really ways that the racially advantaged group, whites, propel their own self-interests. Now, here's the problem. Historically, has that been true? And I would say yes. If you look at our you know, very sordid racial history in, in this country, there have been plenty of examples of how uh, whites have used court rulings to advance their own power at, at the cost of people of color, blacks, Native Americans, uh, Chinese immigrants, things like that. So Does that describe in some sense our history? Well, well, I would say actually yes. And I can give you Supreme Court rulings that show you how these cases have actually sort of served to advance white dominance. And yet, would you want to take that and extrapolate it to make a general statement about how objectivity itself is a way to disguise self-interest? You're getting into some very dangerous territory there because if you take that view of everything, this very cynical view of how power disguises itself behind the guise of objectivity and universality and what's natural well what do you do with someone's reading of the bible Mm -hmm. right i could say you say well the bible says this you'd say ah ah, ah." your white male western interpretation of the bible says that but really that's just a way for you to justify your own power and dominance Mm -hmm. but as christians we have to say look i'm open to hearing different interpretations absolutely i I want to be always reforming as a Protestant. I want to be listening to God's word in scripture, but I can't give myself over to this very cynical view that all interpretations are suspect if they come from these dominant white Western European male voices, because that's a recipe for essentially abandoning scripture as our authority at letting God's God speak authoritatively into our lives.
2: So I hear you saying that while it's important that we seek to listen, while we seek to validate uh, on one side, a person's experience uh, doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it, it might be true that that's their experience, but it doesn't mean it's true that this is kind of the worldview everybody has to adopt mm. uh, in that kind of a way. But then furthermore, the danger then becomes it's one-sided uh, in the listening side. So uh, we're, we're kind of we're, we're not being fully orbed in the way we come to the table and have the conversation. So does that help us to understand then with critical race theory, with maybe some of the people, um, you know, bowing down uh, at this time um, to African-Americans, uh, is, is is that critical race theory influenced? Because I can see myself want to say, I'm so sorry for a racial history. I'm so sorry that that was there. Anything that we can do to make it better. We want to be unified. We, we, we want to be able to get along. Uh, but does that mean that there's no voice whatsoever from the perceived oppressor group? Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the lie that the oppressed believe then? Yeah, I would say that some of the sort of over the top,
0: cringy responses you see from some people, and their their hearts in the right place, they're trying to express their love and their concern and their lamentation over these terrible events that have happened, like the killing of George Floyd, at Arbery, Arbory, Breonna Taylor. People are trying to express that, uh, and mm-hmm. and often maybe awkwardly. So I wouldn't say that. Oh, that's that's critical race theory. I'd say you know maybe it is, maybe it's not. Um, but what I worry about is in trying to listen, which is good, and in trying to be humble, which is also good, people are, are sort of indiscriminately absorbing these ideas that are out there in the culture that are actually toxic and dangerous. And a great example of that is uh, the number one Amazon bestseller for the last like two weeks has been Robin DiAngelo's White Fragility which is a very, very dangerous book. And she's actually on her website, listed as a critical race and social justice educator. So she's the mm-hmm. most well-known critical race theorist in the world right now. And in the book, it's interesting we, now that you can understand how critical race theory thinks about truth and truth claims, but in her book, her basic, basic thesis is that white people are, are fragile. Mm-hmm. So she, she's all white people, all white people have a deeply racist worldview and they deeply racist patterns and they're socialized into racism. They just are, and she's white. Um, and when when you say that, they get offended, and that's a symptom of their white fragility. Okay. And if you and if
2: you start disagreeing with stopper. her what's that? It's a game stopper for conversation.
0: Well, more than that, given her thesis that white people are racist and fragile, you could what is your option as a white person? You can either say, yes, I agree. I am racist and fragile. But mm-hmm. if you disagree, she'll say, ah, that's your fragility speaking. See, you're you're afraid to admit your deep racism. So you prove that you're racist by being fragile. So it really puts people in this double bind where there's no way to, you just have to, again, uh, believe what she says. And any disagreement is evidence that you are just, that she's right. And, uh, there, and then the number two book, uh, and the, more than that, she says other things in other writings, for example, there's an article about, well, uh, I think it's called dismantling whiteness in nursing, but her, the quote she gives in the article is this, the question is not, was this racism, but rather how did racism manifest in this situation? Mm-hmm. And in the book, white fragility, she says that in her, she's very emphatic. She says, racism cannot be absent. From interracial friendships. It cannot. It is always there in every interracial friendship. Now think about that worldview. If someone actually absorbed those ideas, that every t- in every friendship, interracial friendship, the white person was constantly trying to reassert their white dominance, was trying to gain power over the person of color. If every act they performed, it wasn't, but well, the question is not, was that act racist, but how was it racist? That is the death of the church. That is the death of interracial friendships. That is the death of everything. Mm-hmm. And if you say, say D'Angelo, that sounds like a very poisonous way to view the world. She would say that's because you're fragile.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So and I see, I have seen evangelical, large evangelical ministries, pastors recommending this book. And it is terrifying to me because it is not the way to achieve racial unity. It's the way to destroy it. It is not the way to to lament and to uh, build one another up in Christ. It's a way to destroy any kind of semblance of unity or kindness or compassion or like-mindedness. And w- so we have to be aware of, I know it's a bestseller and people are all reading it, but you have to read it critically. Don't just take it as another book in the canon because it's not.
2: Yeah, uh, well said. I mean, we do. We have to. We do have to listen critically. One of the things that I've been concerned about right now, Neil, is at nighttime I'll go back and forth between conservative news, which would be a Fox, and then going over to MSNBC or a CNN, and I listen to the narrative uh, that you know our culture is getting, and I think about how split we are. And again, uh, it's this idea that the iceberg's been there. And uh, the George Floyd death was kind of like that. You know, we've really hit the iceberg, and it's like as a nation, the ship's sinking, and we're just trying to figure out: well, how in the world do we come together? And 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 reading some of your stuff, I see critical race theory. I'm seeing it everywhere, and uh, it's very interesting, but it's also scary because I think about uh, how do we, if that's the narrative. Uh, like, oh, this is just your fragility speaking or, okay, recognize you're completely racist. Uh, it feels like you're in a catch-22. I mean, you are. How, what's what's the antidote here? I mean, how how do we even converse? I mean, what's the apologetic for this particular worldview to bump up and engage and have conversation? So you can approach it on two different levels. I would
0: say that uh, from a secular perspective, uh, if you're talking to non-Christians, you could just point out that these ideas of white fragility, or even the idea that lived experience is sort of unchallengeable. I would argue that just philosophically, that makes no sense, right? Uh, for many reasons, but here's just one. People are not monoliths, you know, racial groups, ethnic groups, genders are not monoliths. People, people are individuals with different opinions. So when you say things like you can, you should never challenge a person's lived experience. They, give, they can give you insight into say, what it's like to be black or white or, or, or Hispanic, that you can, they can give you insight into that experience in, in, in America. Well, I would say, well, that's wrong. There is no one monolithic black experience. You talk to black conservatives versus black liberals versus black Christians versus black Muslims, right? And you'll get a lot of different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So the idea that there is one perspective is just obviously false. You know, yeah. Whose lived experience should I listen to? I have a friend, Monique Dusan, who's black and who actually was, she'll tell you so herself, she was very enamored of critical race theory and even and recently realized this is not biblical. She's a Christian. This is completely not a good way to view the world. But her, so her lived experience or her, her statement now is critical race theory is really dangerous and wrong. But if you ask someone else, they might say, well, critical race theory is just obviously true. Well, mm-hmm. she's a black woman. So, so whose lived experience is going to be taken as authoritatively true? That's one conflict. Mm.
2: Um,
0: another, and there's many other things I could just point out. Um, another one that's obvious is that a person's lived experience has to be interpreted. So you you never go directly from experience to reality, especially when you're talking about objective, universal truth claims about society. So, for example, um, if I let's say I talk to a woman. And she and I ask her, "Have you ever experienced domestic violence?" And she she might say, "Well, no. You know, the men in my life have been so loving and supportive, and you know, I just I, I've never, thank goodness, ever experienced domestic violence. And therefore, I conclude that domestic violence does not exist in this country." You'd immediately say, "No, no, wait a minute. Wait, you can't go. No, I'm not invalidating your lived experience. I believe what you're saying about your own experience, but you can't draw, you can't connect to." what reality is like across an entire nation. That makes no Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Well, it works both ways. You can't go from someone's lived experience of say racism or sexism or anything to make a statement about society. Now, how do we do that then? Well, we have to appeal to data, to analysis, to careful study. But so there are a number of reasons why that lived experience is sort of infallibly true. It makes no sense philosophically.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, we have a playlist on our channel covering related topics. If you enjoyed the show or learned something, consider subscribing to our channel and sharing this episode with your network and leaving us a comment telling us what you liked about it.